deferring to the speed of the vehicle is a big mistake. In cities, you just have to be able to move more people through a corridor than you can do by one person per car. We have to start thinking about how we reallocate the roadway and making better public space. You know, you want streets that are beautiful, that feel good to be on, that make you feel good about the place where you live. In L.A. is like car nirvana. It was developed to be that. You're changing as fast as any place I know of. I'm really encouraged and actually very inspired by what has happened. Good. Here I have David Goldberg and I have Jennifer Gill on the line. And David, can you tell me about the article that you're working on? I'm currently working on a series of articles for Sightline, which is a progressive policy think tank in Seattle that covers what they call Cascadia, which would be all the American states of the Pacific Northwest and B.C. in Canada. The piece that I'm working on, or the series of pieces, is called Growing Safer Streets. It's an extension of work that I've done over many years regarding complete streets, and it's sort of looking at how the notion of complete is getting bigger. As cities get denser, our streets need to do a lot more for us. They not only need to move cars, they probably need to move fewer cars in order to move more people on foot or on bicycle. The growing array of other modes we've got coming into the cities now. And at the same time, it, they have to manage stormwater, and they have to be green. They have to be places that are welcoming, comforting, and take the edge off the city. So that's what this piece is about. It's the sort of main piece is looking at, that, at those themes in general and around the country, and then uh, individual pieces that are focusing on three cities that happen to be leaders in that, that are also Pacific Northwest cities, Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver. Also on the line, Jennifer Gill with the LA Bicycle Advisory Committee. Jennifer, you know, we were talking about Complete Streets the other day, and you you directed me to the Complete Streets design guide for Los Angeles. So I thought I'd introduce you to David. I hope I'm not making too much out of this, David, but he coined the term Complete Streets. I read that on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems that he's gone beyond now. Or all of Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver have gone beyond. Hopefully not gone to the great beyond. No. (laughs) Beyond beyond Complete Streets. Streets to greenways. Ah, so you're changing the name. Is that what, what you're, you're sort no, of saying? No, no, no. The greenways is definitely a term that, that's been in use for a little while, um, but it's, it's separate and distinct from complete streets. I mean, I okay. could go back to the beginning and tell you how it all got going, but we'll let you lead the charge here, Nick. And let's take it from the beginning. Well, way back at the dawn of time, <laughs> or about 2003 or so, I was working with a, an organization that was pretty new at the time called Smart Growth America. And we were working on how to help cities stop suburban sprawl that was so completely automobile-oriented and learn again how cities used to be made, where they were more walkable and they had all the stuff you'd want to walk to, shops and restaurants in close proximity to housing and different kinds of housing altogether, and a little bit more compact than the sort of the sprawl model. And I was the communications director and working with a bunch of national groups that were interested in promoting safer walking and biking. And they wanted to have a campaign around this idea of what they were calling routine accommodation. And that was the idea that rather than have streets be all about cars in the city, that they would routinely accommodate the needs of other people. And they wanted me to help them name a campaign that they were going to go to Congress and try to get a national complete streets. It wasn't complete streets then, but a national routine accommodation law passed. And I kind of said, well, can we think about a different term? Because routine accommodation sort of sounds like a not very good hotel room. Mm -hmm. They said, well, what you got, 
and um, I offered up Complete Streets, and it took. And then ah. Smart Growth America became the host for a new coalition that came together under the umbrella of National Complete Streets Coalition, and um, branded everything and started taking it out to the cities and to the states. And before you knew it, um, we had several hundred uh, cities, states, and other jurisdictions that had adopted complete streets policies in one form or another. And Seattle, where I live now, happened to be the first big city that adopted one in 2007. Am I right in thinking that a greenway is, is just a complete street with some nature thrown in, or is that not Well, true? greenways is a little bit of a confusing term. It, it emerged a melding of what was going on in Vancouver and in Portland. They were working on what they were calling Bike Boulevard several years ago. And yeah. in Vancouver, they, they were looking at it as an all-ages bicycling network, mostly on side streets off the busy arterials. And they were using traffic calming, different kinds of diverters and curb extensions at the curbs to make it narrower for people to cross the street, but then also slow down the traffic. And they started planting roadside gardens, landscaping, trees, in a lot of these spaces that were used for traffic calming. And the term greenways was adopted later, I think initially by Portland, for these particular kinds of streets. And this is a subset of complete streets in my mind. It wasn't necessarily about greening the street literally with vegetation. And what I'm looking at more closely now is the efforts to really consciously use these spaces for vegetation. An interesting side note, until relatively recently, trees at the roadside were regarded by traffic engineers as a hazard. And, oh! oh. Uh, very, very unfortunate. I mean, there were a lot of places, in fact, they're still doing it in some, in some areas, where there's higher speed vehicle travel. Say, once you get over 30 miles an hour or so, the thinking has been, if a vehicle leaves the road, then a tree is a hazard. And it also can obstruct the visibility you want. For people traveling at high speeds, you want clear sight lines as far ahead as you can get. And all this goes to the main point that in cities, in urban areas where you should expect people to be walking, to be biking, and you have a lot more people moving around, deferring to the speed of the vehicle is a big mistake. And we did yes. that for a long time, and that's why yeah. we have so many of the hell streets we have in so many of our cities. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've heard about that issue about trees, because we are trying to plant trees, especially on boulevards, in the middle, you know, and make them... It right. make it easier for pedestrians to cross a large, you know, expansion. Um, well, I think it's, it's softening now, and views are certainly changing. Um, yeah. There, you know, there's so many states, in, in many cities, there are state highways that go through the cities, or there are the oh. roadways that are actually in state ownership. And typically, oh, wow. they've been, they have been operating from this more rural, higher-speed kind of mindset. Yeah. That's starting to change okay. in a lot of places. And research more recently in the last several years has has shown what a lot of people, you know, had known sort of intuitively for a long time, which is that the presence of trees and the presence of vegetation generally has a calming effect not just on your soul as a as a human being oh. in a place with nature, but it has a calming effect on traffic. It tends to make the um sort of enclose the space a little more. And, you know, the, the axiom is the, the, the wider the space for vehicle travel, the faster the speeds. And you, you know that intuitively. If you're on a, sure. a highway or a piece of road, 
even in the city that looks like a superhighway that has the wider lanes that has a lot of lanes, a lot of of wide space, you think it's for high speed. The corollary of that is, even if you have the same number of lanes, if they're narrower and if they're enclosed by trees and vegetation, you tend to slow down. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. I mean, that's maybe is the is the solution because. During our committee meetings, a number of our appointees is appointed from their council member in the district within Los Angeles. So everyone is concerned about high speeds because it's killing a lot of bicyclists. And, you know, we're concerned about intersections as well. But um, but the solution, there are a couple of solutions. One is, you know, roundabouts seems to slow people down. And that would also be kind of a greenway. And, it's you know, it's not just a cement roundabout, but have lots of landscaping in that roundabout. And then another was, you know, to divide, to determine how long it takes people to cross the street and put, put, um, landscaping in the in the middle of the street. That's some streets, and then then we're trying the road diet idea, and it's very unpopular at this point. But in, the, in that instance, there's nothing. There's just you know a middle lane that on one side of the uh, intersection you can turn one way, and then on the other side you turn the other way. But there's nothing. There's no green in there. And so anyway, we we need to think green. We definitely do. That's that's. Uh, I don't know what you would I do think, with... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, we do need to think green. And mm-hmm. and the thing that I've discovered in, in recent research is that um, there's, this, there's this wonderful, virtuous circle that <laughs> happens. That if, if you take a little bit of space from vehicles, from, move, from the movement of vehicles, say... You take a little bit of the, the, turning, the turning radius, and by that I mean when you have these wide sweeping turns, they are, they're meant for cars to not have to slow down very much to make that turn. Ah, yeah. Take a, little bit of, take a little bit of that space, and you just sharpen that corner a little bit, and lo and behold, people slow down to make the turn. They're more likely to see a pedestrian or a bicycle in the intersection, and you have a little bit of space there that you can plant. You can put some. Yes. You can make it be a swale that collects rainwater if you have a if you have a mm-hmm. drainage situation, or you can just make it be um, some lovely plantings, and that you know brings beauty and joy to people. At the same time, it actually slows people down and saves lives. And the the truth is, it if it it barely, if at all, slows the movement of people in cars. Road diets have been shown over and over and over again. When you do them the right way, you still you you know you still leave some turn pockets and that sort of thing, so that people who are left turning can get out of the way. Mm-hmm. But but you can move cars if you move it through moving through at a steady speed and a slower speed, you actually get more consistent throughput than if people are jackrabbiting from corner to corner um, and they're and they're changing lanes and, and flitting this yeah. way and that. So, so you so you're 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 saying road working. diets are good. You're saying that's a good idea. I think that you know it, everything even if it's not detail, green, right? right? They can be well or poorly designed, but yeah, but okay. typically, but typically, they work. Um, they work to make the 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 street the streetscape more pleasant, safer, mm-hmm. 
for everybody concerned, for motorists, for people on foot, for people on bicycle. And then the slower the, tra- the general traffic is going, if it's not high-speed traffic, then the more space you actually have to make a protected bike lane. And in, that, and in the barrier between the bike lane and the car travel way, you have more space that you can green up. And so that's what I mean by this virtuous cycle that mm-hmm. you get into if your main motivation is not moving cars through an area as fast as you can move them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to know how to speak about this, I suppose, better, because there there's some controversy even now about the word diet. Have you heard that? You know, I, I don't. I, I use the word because people know what I mean when I say it in a lot yeah. of contexts. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't personally talk about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of wonkier term for it that you hear sometimes is rechannelization. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really, um, to me, it's a more efficient allocation of the roadway. And what you're trying to do is, um, it's especially in denser cities in, in cities in yes. particular you <laughs> know you, you've got Hello. you've got so many you've got so many needs there's so many demands on that on that right-of-way and I, I you know it, when when cities were being hollowed out and you know so much of the population was being decanted to suburbs during the real sprawl era and cities were on the outs mm-hmm. um it you you weren't giving up that much maybe by by imitating the suburbs and redesigning your streets to be more about moving a lot of cars through than they were about being good places to walk and hang out. Um, but as we get denser, uh, we can't really afford that. We can't right. physically move as many people if they're all by themselves in a car. That seems self-evident to me. I, I'm amazed yeah. at how many people who don't quite get that math yet. Yeah. But um, so we have to move more people through, which means they need to be able to use, we need to get transit vehicles through we need to get people um, who, who are not using a car for everything if they need to be dropped off and picked up by, um, by one of the rideshare companies. If they, want, if they need to use um, that last mile to, you know, from, from where they get off a bus stop, at a bus stop, they need to use a bike share or some places are now trying scooters. And I don't want to get into that conversation just yet. But oh, I know it's so happening. We're, gonna, oh. we're going to need we've not only scooters. We're going to need the, the separated bird. infrastructure for the stuff bird? like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're we're, all, we're already having problems with the bird, and that's a scooter. Is that what you're calling a scooter? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it, Seattle, for one, hasn't hasn't let them in yet. But all I'm saying is that there's, oh. Oh, there's wow. there are a lot of people who are who because it's so difficult to get into congested areas in your car and find some place to leave it and so expensive to pay for the parking. There are a lot of people who are, are trying to car light or car free lifestyle. And in any event, in, in cities, you just have to be able to move more people through a corridor than you can do by one person per car. So, so that just means we have to start thinking about how we re- reallocate the roadway and a road diet may be the wrong way to think about it, um, but being more efficient about allocating the space is probably what we really are about. And making making better public space. You know, you want streets that are beautiful, that feel good to be on, that make your 
make you feel good about the place where you live. Hey, I, I have somebody here named Claude Ishagian, and he has a question. Claude? Yeah, I was kind of curious how you negotiate dealing with the city and and getting the city on board and supportive um, to do bikeways and, you know, road diets and things like, things like that. And also, like, I would pose that question on two levels, you know, the political level, like, is the city council amenable to these kinds of things? And also, what about the city agencies, like, you know, I guess DOT or BOE or whichever of those agencies oversees this kind of stuff? I'm curious about that. You all know a lot more about L.A. than I know, but I do know the, um, the transportation general manager there who's very progressive and believes in a lot of this stuff. And I think the policies are in place in L.A., as they are in Seattle. In, in Seattle, at least, the city council is pretty supportive of these ideas. Where we're running into trouble is... There are a lot of people who are still in the in the car mindset, and they they feel like they like to portray every effort to to take back a little bit of space from cars as being a war on cars, which I think yeah. is a really unfortunate way to look at it. I I do really believe that when when I drive in areas that have um, that have more thought put into how uh, a lot of people move through them, that that I find it easier to drive through and much more pleasant. And in some of the crazy multi-lane arterials that go really fast and you feel like people are, you know, going to cut you off or run into you at any minute. So, so I do think that the policies in a lot of places are in place, but the politics that you mentioned, really difficult. The real sticking point on some of these issues is the worry about loss of parking. So if you give over a parking lane to, to say, a bikeway, um, that's when you start seeing people really... And, and, you know, some of the local businesses and all really get agitated. And it is a difficult balance in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Claude, did you have a follow-up? I guess that's helpful. I, another thing that came up here in L.A. recently, I guess there was an old train right-of-way that went through West L.A. And, and there was some idea to turn it into a bikeway. Is that doable? Is that idea that you can sort of find unused rights-of-way that, you know, like L.A. used to have all these streetcars and now they're all gone. You know, what happened to those streetcar rights-of-way have they just been reabsorbed into the urban environment, or is there some way to take them back and, and, and reestablish them as bikeways? I guess I think of, you know, the rails-to-trails projects in more rural right. environments, you know, like, is, is there right. an opportunity in the city? Or the well, well, we that are doing been... Slauson. You know about Slauson? It's kind of a rail to the river. Have you heard of that one? No, I don't know about that one. It's further down on Slauson, and there's a railroad track all the way from Crenshaw, practically, over to the river, L.A. River. Mm -hmm. And I've been attending a lot of those meetings. It's via Metro at this point, and the supervisor, Mark Ridley-Thomas, he's the one who's really been pushing it for South L.A. But the other one that you're talking about, which one is that? Because we did the Exposition Boulevard. That, that was a railroad track, too. Which one are you talking about? I think he's talking about all of them. Wasn't, a new one, though. Well, wasn't there one where it doesn't exposition get, it gets very precipitously cut off. As yeah. you, as well, you get before we like, get all into local stuff, because David is from Washington. Washington, okay. I, yeah. David, you, are you with the Department of Transportation in Washington? Yeah, I am, but I'm um, not speaking in that capacity at this oh. moment. Oh, oh you're okay. with just a, a writer for Sightlines. Right. And did you... And a long-time long advocate on... and, and um, writer on a lot of these issues. Going back to that rail idea, that has been something that has come up in a number of places in recent years, and some very cool uh, projects are coming up. Um, I don't know if you know in Atlanta the about the Beltline there, 
that was, and that is, this ongoing transformation. There was a series of short-line railroads that most of them were about taking goods from a factory to uh, the main trunk of a railroad. And there was a, there was a graduate student a number of years ago at Georgia Tech who looked at those short-line railways, most of which were abandoned, and thought, well, what if, you, what if you linked them all up in a belt line, they called it? It basically goes around the core of the city, and it connects up several parts of the city. It really captured everyone's imagination, and so they came up with this whole plan. The city has acquired all that right-of-way, turned it into, most of it now, into a multi-use trail. They're making plans for probably a streetcar, some transit mode, might be rubber-tired buses on its own little way, but people seem to like the idea. Sort of like, I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans, but New Orleans, the streetcars, like on St. Charles Avenue, run basically in the grassy median. And it's just two rails through grass. And people jog and hang out in the area, and then the streetcar comes, they move out of the way. So the idea is sort of that kind of of feel on this Beltline. And around the sections of the trail that they've opened up, it was sort of magical the way that it reconnects parts of the city. You can make a bike or a walking trip from one area of the city to another faster than you can on the road network just by the way that this connects up certain areas. And it's been very popular. There's a lot of development that's been happening around it. Those have turned out to be really cool. People like the idea of a transportation and recreational system combined that uh, isn't so much about the car. Um, In Vancouver, they're working on a a rail line they're calling the Arbutus that is also going to be very similar. It'll be the trail, but also a streetcar running along it. And similar, they're doing a lot of plantings in different themed green areas along the way. And Portland is now going to do something that they call the Green Loop, which is not a, a railroad, but they're just going to take in the core of the city some streets that are not as heavily used and kind of link them up in a green loop that gets, you know, planted up and made into a, a nice sort of linear park that would also be a, a trail that you can use for transportation. Hmm. A lot of cities are looking at those kinds of ideas. Good, but they're keeping us out of the way, in a sense. You know, the, it's not like, yeah. they, it doesn't sound so much about bike lanes on the street. It's more protected. It sounds a lot more protected. Right. So and maybe, it's, a, it's another way for bikes to get around, that they're not necessarily mixing in with traffic when they do it. Yeah, that seems to be the complaint here in Los Angeles, that we're taking up too much street space, you know, uh, with road diets and, and bike lanes on the street that has a road diet. So, so, so maybe we do have to think larger and look for more uh, loops. I guess you're calling them loops and maybe old rail lines. I mean, what we have here are a lot of alleys. I was just on an alley that's parallel to Santa Monica Boulevard. It's pretty long. It, couple miles long that might be a way to get you yeah i agree that being more radical is probably you know in order and it makes me think about things like uh elevated roadways i mean i know it's not a new thing of course like elevator we used to have the elevator roadway roadway that went from pasadena to downtown la and of course like chicago has elevated roadway and new york has the high line that's been renovated into something interesting now and it makes me think you know when you hear about discussions about an elevated monorail going down Wilshire Boulevard, mm. I, I imagine wow. that, yeah, I mean, imagine that, you know, a, a elevated roadway for a bicycle could be built much lighter than, you know, an elevated roadway for something heavy like a monorail. It seems like it could be a very sort of 
easy thing to to do the rights of way on existing roadways are there and just put it up in the air and then you basically have a easy right of way david are there these existing rights of ways that can be taken over is that a thing that can be repurposed <laughs> well you know in most cases you probably find that it, that it already has been repurposed some of these railway rights of way are just kind of sitting there you know we do have some really wide streets and really wide rights-of-way in many places that if you look at it objectively, don't carry enough cars. It's not like they're wall-to-wall vehicles all day long. And a lot of that them have right-of-way. They can be bikeways. They could be, you could put footings for a monorail if you wanted to go elevated. There's a lot of ways to use that right-of-way. There are also opportunities to, you know, just to green them for the sake of greening them. Seattle's got a program that they're calling pavement parks, which is a a trial effort, but it's, uh, it's it's looking promising. So you know there are a lot of places where, say, um, if you have a grid of streets, there may be a, one that cuts across diagonally, and where those intersections are, there is often really big swatches of pavement, mm-hmm. um, and they don't need to be as big as they are. In fact, if you square them up a little bit, those intersections then they often function better and they're safer. And when you do that, you get a triangle of land that could be a mini park to be planted up could be uh, public art. They put it out there and let a number of neighborhoods come up with their own plans for how to use some of these spaces. And they examine it, look at it from a traffic standpoint. And if it'll work, they let them sort of paint it up and maybe put furniture in there and make it a pilot project kind of and look at it for a while, see how the traffic does. And if it works, then the plan is over time, convert it to an actual bit of green space. So that's a, another way to repurpose right-of-way. We have that on Sunset. Where is that, Nick? The one that we, um, you know, it's got little polka dots, big, big circles on it. The green, with, what's that one called? That triangle, Sunset Triangle or polka something? Dot park. Yeah. Polka Dot Park. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Polka Dot Park. Yeah. We did that, and it, and it is now definitely permanent, and it was a pilot, like you said, but it's one of the few that I've mm. heard about. I heard it, there was another one on Melrose that they put down AstroTurf, and I don't know what's happened to it. I haven't been over there, but they closed that intersection down for a big party, but they weren't allowing cars to come through it either, but AstroTurf might be a way to get them mm. to close that fake grass down for a minute, you know, make a carpet. Another mm-hmm. opportunity or a missed opportunity is, is trying to put bikeways between the pedestrian sidewalk and parked cars. It seems to me that it's obvious to put the cars between the bikes so that they act as a buffer and there's a safety factor. And all over Europe, they do that. But here in the States, we don't seem to do that. We just seem to put the bikes right next to the cars, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, but yeah if you have the space and you can leave the parking lane, and that is a, it's a great buffer. Yeah. You just have to make sure that people understand how they're supposed to use it. It takes a little education for a while to get them used to that. But I have seen that in a number of places in the States, but you're right, it's all over Europe. We can find your article and Sightlines? It'll be online at sightline.org, S-I-G-H-T, line, L-I-N-E, dot org. Probably be another three weeks or so before it's actually out there. Still finishing it up and making it look pretty. Are you going to have photos? Soon. Yeah, looking for all the photos and trying to show off all these great ideas. I'm looking here at uh, design elements. I just saw something I've never seen before. It says new road distribution in Davis, California. looks like a road diet, but it looks like a bike path. It's a caution yellow bike path. The gold lines, they're going inside of the road diet. It's crazy. It's like in the middle of the street. New road distribution in Davis. Now pedestrian and cyclists have better safety conditions. 
and I'm finding that under the design element. So I might even post this myself on showing a new idea. But Davis is a small town too, so you know that's, that's I don't know, the problem. Uh, if you, I don't know if you've looked at it, um, but the National Association of City Transportation Officials, or NACTO, yes. has put out a number of guides and has a website with a bunch of case studies. And they all have photos. It's okay. a great place to go to get inspiration and see what other places are doing that, you know, if you can find peer cities or examples that kind of parallel an area that you're looking at, yeah. it's a great place to find some things that folks are doing. Yeah. So I'm going to post it right now, actually. Okay. I'm going to do that now. I need to do that every once in a while to get people inspired. Is there anything else while we have David on the phone that Claude or Jennifer you want to ask about? I want to thank yeah. I want to thank you. I feel encouraged because very positive what you were saying today. You know, greenways slowing down the traffic but making it intuitive. I think that's a really good way to to look at what we're doing and not fighting cars. We're not fighting. We're not at war. You know, it's not a war at all. And I don't know about you. I bike to work every day because it's the fastest the most convenient way for me to go, and I get some exercise. So that's great. That's awesome. But I have a car, and I have kids, and I understand, you know, you use your car when you need your car. So I can't be at war with myself. I'm both a driver and a cyclist, and I'm always and I'm a pedestrian. When I take the bus, I'm a pedestrian. And so the idea that we have to be at war over this stuff is distressing. And if you take a step back, which I like to do once in a while, because when I got into this whole thing, it was a very different picture than it is now. The default setting from the 1950s on was move as many cars as fast as you can. And like I was saying before, when the whole demise of the cities happened for a time there in the 60s and 70s, they started to ape the suburbs because that's where all the action was. And you just had this idea that that we were all going to get around in our cars for absolutely everything, and we had to just give over the streets to that purpose. And so that's how we designed them. And I think it depressed a lot of us. Even if we had the means to have a car and and we were just fine with driving everywhere, the resulting streetscape is just ugly. And survey after survey in places all over the country and the world have shown people hate the resulting landscape. They really do. They love Mm -hmm. a landscape that's, that's walkable, streets that are shaded with trees. That's naturally what we're all drawn to. So we deprived ourselves of that for a couple generations. But if you look now at what's happening, I mean, in L.A. is like car nirvana, right? It was developed to be that. But you're changing as fast as any place I know of. Good, um, good. I'm glad so you're you take the, If you take the long yeah. view, even though day to day it seems like such a horrible fight to just make a little bit of progress, the mentality is changing and our expectations about our streets are changing. And like you, I get worn down in the day to day slog. But taking a long view, as I like to do and as I'm trying to do in this article, I'm really encouraged and actually very inspired by what has happened. Good. Well, I have to tell you, I haven't owned a car since 1968. Wow. I'm not at war with cars, but I ride a bike everywhere. Work, pleasure, recreation, everywhere. I keep my Strava miles. They're not fantastic, but, you know, I use it all the time. Yeah, I was going to add to that uh, last sentiment about designing our environments around the car and how it seems like in L.A., we were the foundation of, of car urbanism, I guess, in a way, because we, yeah. really were. we grew so quickly. And now we're, in many ways, we don't have the benefit of having these pre-car zones to sort of use as jumping off points to evolve. I mean, it's really hard if you live in the city and 
and you want to use your bike and there's very little bike infrastructure, it's like, you know, you, you feel gypped constantly. Even though it's happening here very quickly, it seems to me like we need to have a lot of patience. There's so much need and it's so long in coming. And, and it's such a big undertaking to really create a comprehensive bicycle infrastructure in this city that unless there's some real input or energy towards it, it seems like it's just going to take forever. Well, come to our meetings. We need you. Mm-hmm. The Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee, the first Tuesday of every even month. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So the City of Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee. We, we need you to talk about what you want. And another thing that's happening is simply that LADOT, the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, has pretty much filled in, what do they call it, the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Low-hanging and fruit. So, mm-hmm. And now they have to spend a lot of money. So we have to figure out what part of the street we can work on for that kind of money. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's a game, <laughs> you know. All right. Well, thanks, David and Jennifer and Claude. Thanks so much for having me on, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 